Hello everyone, and welcome to another edition of Theater Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters. And also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. Let's get started. For our featured movies this week, classic action stars reunite for Expendables 4, a high school student discovers a demon and finds out it lives inside, a famous artist discovers inspiration in France in The Inventor, and the little guy fucks over Wall Street in Dumb Money. First up, the Expendables team reunites one last time to save the world from World War III. This is Expendables 4. You're about to find out how much I enjoyed the show. In the fourth go-around of the Expendables franchise, Oscar-nominated actor Sylvester Stallone returns as Barney, who along with Jason Statham's Christmas, Dolph Lundgren's Gunner, and Randy Couture's Toll, reunite for another top-secret mission called on by CIA agent Marsh, played by Oscar-nominated actor Andy Garcia. This time, they are joined by new recruits Easy Day, played by Curtis Jackson, a.k.a. 50 Cent, and Galan, played by Jacobs Scipio. They are sent to stop arms dealer Ramat, played by Iko Uwais, who has broken into a deserted chemical plant in Libya and has stolen nuclear detonators at the request of a mysterious leader named Ocelot. Ocelot was responsible for killing many of Barney's squad many years ago. However, when this mission goes off the rails and ends tragically, Christmas is blamed for going rogue and is effectively kicked off the squad and replaced by his girlfriend Gina, played by Megan Fox. Gina takes over the squad and leads them on the hunt for Ocelot in a mission to prevent a nuclear explosion that will start World War III. Can she pull off the mission? When I saw the trailer, I predicted it would be a shove-it, and I give this film a... Huge shove it. This movie is terrible. It is basically two hours of gunfire and a manic cameraman who cannot keep a shot still to save his life. I mean, no one goes into an Expendables movie expecting to see the next Best Picture winner, okay? But people do go in to be entertained, and this was far from entertaining. It was just the same old stuff over and over and over and over again. And the biggest offense of this film? No, it's not the incredibly fake backdrops and the green screen work that looks so terrible. Nor is it the endless gunfire. Nor is it the terrible camera work that I talked about. The biggest offense of this film is that among all of this gunfire and bloodshed is an incredibly boring movie. This movie is an hour and 45 minutes and it felt much longer. The plot is nonsensical, and I'm telling you right now, if you do go see it, you're going to guess who this ocelot person is right away. It wasn't a big surprise. And there's a huge plot twist that happens at the beginning of the movie that you know how it's going to end by the time the film finishes. I really hope this is the last of these films. 
They are running on fumes, and considering it made about three bucks at the box office this weekend, I can't imagine another one's being talked about. But, if by chance you would like to see nearly two hours of nothing but gunfire and no story, you might enjoy this. I, however, thought it sucked. Next, an ostracized teenager unleashes holy hell on her community. This is It Lives Inside. When Tamir and I were kids, my mom used to tell us stories. Behaya said, never sleep with a bad feeling in our hearts. Because there's a dark thing that feeds on those feelings. What is the deal with Tamira? Is she doing all right? My stomach drops every time she like appears out of thin air like that. Director Bishal Dutta's debut feature film, Megan Suri plays Samita, a teenage girl who is at the age where she is struggling with her identity. She's desperate to live life as a normal teenager living in America, but is constantly held back by her mother Porna, played by Niru Bajwa. Porna would rather Samita maintain her East Indian culture and not fall prey to American foolishness. Stuck in the middle is Samita's father Inesh, played by Vic Sahay. He does whatever he can to support his daughter's wishes while maintaining peace at home with his wife. At school, Samita is interested in a boy named Russ, played by Gage Marsh. She begins warming up to the popular crowd, who targets Samita's former friend Tamira, played by Mohana Krishnan. Tamira is a withdrawn, strange girl who walks around with a glass jar that she claims to hold an ancient demon inside. After a confrontation in the gym locker room, Samita breaks the jar and soon discovers that Tamira wasn't just delusional when an evil force abducts Tamira and begins to take over the community. Can Samita find a solution to this evil force and rescue Tamira from its clutches? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... Mild see-it. I really enjoyed the concept of this film, but man, did it ever take a while to get going. The film itself is only about an hour and a half, maybe just a little more, and it took a good half hour to finally get the wheels moving on this. But when it did, I was all for it. Although this was rated PG-13, there were a few moments that were quite scary, but for the most part, most of them were pretty mild. The film itself is an allegory to the struggles teenagers go through during that very awkward and difficult moment in their lives. And the director shows a lot of promise for future films, even if this one wasn't as fleshed out as it could have been. The script is a bit uneven and probably could have been better developed as an R-rated horror film as opposed to a PG-13 one. One caveat that I will mention is in my screening, all of the subtitles were kind of cut off. When the characters were speaking Hindi, the subtitles at the bottom of the screen were cut off, so I have no idea what they were talking about during those scenes. So part of me is feeling that I'm going to have to go back and see the film again. I don't think it will change my opinion of it, because that didn't really take away from my understanding of the film, but I am curious as to what was being said. Although it is a mild see-it, I honestly would save your money and wait for this to come on streaming to watch. 
Up next, a wise and innovative artist shows he can create away from the canvas. This is the inventor. A long, long time ago, when long beards were all the rage, a rather insightful inventor put some big ideas center stage. If you haven't already guessed it, this visionary is me. And this is the story of how I became the legendary Leonardo da Vinci. In the stop-motion animated film, the later years of Leonardo da Vinci's life are explored as da Vinci, voiced by Stephen Fry, is on the outs with the Catholic Church, which is upset with him. Pope Leo X, voiced by Matt Berry, accuses da Vinci of heresy because he uses cadavers to study the human body rather than inventing new weapons to use in the war against France. After proving his point about the lunacy of war, da Vinci travels from Rome to France, hoping a new view will foster a creative influx. Once there, he joins the court of Francis I, voiced by Gaithier Batu. He informs the king that the land upon which he is building his new castle will simply not support the weight of the structure. It seems that da Vinci gets the inspiration he was seeking, especially when he meets the king's sister, Princess Marguerite, voiced by Daisy Ridley. Marguerite is fascinated by da Vinci because she too is quite interested in science. But as in Rome, he faces pressure to use his talent for war by not only Francis, but also Francis's mother, Louise de Savoy, voiced by Oscar winner Marion Cotillard. I give this film a... Mild see it. The animation here is something to behold. It is gorgeous and engaging. The voice work is all done well, with some great standouts like Barry, who provides much of the comic relief of the story. The script, however, is a bit uneven. There are moments where some risks are taken and they pay off well, but there are also long stretches where not much seems to happen and the film gets stuck in a holding pattern of sorts. Even though it is animated, I really don't think many children will be clamoring to see this, nor be interested in it if they do. But I do recommend seeing it for the animation alone. Director Jim Capobianco does a wonderful job artistically with presenting the subject in a vibrant, colorful way. I just wish the story he wrote was a bit more interesting. Next, when an average Joe riles up everyday stock buyers to rally behind GameStop, the results rattle Wall Street. This is dumb money. Babe, how much did we make today? How much did we lose today? A billion. And yesterday? Four million. And yesterday? A billion. Babe. Yeah. We're like really fucking rich. Uh, person, yeah. Who you think gonna win? You got rich, dude? Pissing in their pants right now. They're coming after you. We need to talk about the GameStop situation. Retail traders always lose. <laughs> You've been served. Wall Street cheated. Surprise, surprise. Set around the 2021 GameStop stock short squeeze, Dumb Money stars Paul Dano as Keith Gill, a relatively unknown Redditor who goes by the name Roaring Kitty. Gill spends his time online trying to convince his followers to invest in buying shares of GameStop at an initially low buy-in. What followed was an explosion of the stock price that kept going higher and higher, much to the annoyance of Wall Street billionaires, 
played here by Seth Rogen, Vincent D'Onofrio, Sebastian Stan, and Nick Offerman. These hedge fund operators are used to making a fortune off of failing stocks, and when Gill turns the tables on them, they begin losing money by the day. Billions by the day. With the Wall Street executives putting the squeeze on the day trading company Robinhood, things begin to get out of control for Gill, who is subpoenaed to a congressional hearing along with the executives who are investigated for possibly having inside knowledge. Based on the book by Ben Mesrich, Dumb Money has a plethora of characters that each gets their moment in the movie, from Gill and his wife, Carolyn, played by Shailene Woodley, to Gill's brother Kevin, played by Pete Davidson. Other characters central to the story are America Ferreira's struggling nurse named Jenny, Anthony Ramos's GameStop clerk Marcus, and a couple of college students named Harmony and Riri, played by Talia Ryder and Mahela Harold. Can these underdog Davids overcome the Goliaths of Wall Street and Congress? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... See-it! This is my type of movie. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. I felt the script kept everything moving at a lightning pace, which served the story very well in the manic nature of the situation. I remember this news story quite clearly. In fact, I may have participated in the second short squeeze that everyday buyers participated in with AMC movie theaters. I thought all the performances were quite well done, and there was a nice balance of seriousness and comedy throughout. If I had to ding the movie for anything, I would say there may have been too many cooks in the kitchen. Some of those side stories could have been left out and then had more of a focus on the central characters, but that's just a minor complaint because I was totally engaged with this movie from the beginning to the end, and if you're a fan of movies like The Big Short, I think you're going to love this one. So that's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Expendables 4 is in theaters now and is a shove it. It Lives Inside is in theaters now and is a mild see it. The Inventor is in theaters now and is a mild see it. And Dumb Money is in select theaters now and expands this weekend and is a see it and it's my pick of the week. Now, let's move on to the segment where I let you know the latest titles now available for home viewing. This is now streaming. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem is a fast-paced, fresh spin on the Ninja Turtles legacy. Told in a style similar to the Spider-Verse movies, this is a fun, enjoyable film. It is now available on Paramount+. Plus. To hear my full review, listen to episode 100. Comedian Burt Kreischer brings his stand-up to the feature film The Machine as a stand-up who has a terrifying and chaotic trip to Russia. Mistaken identity and a mob vendetta ensue. This got a mild see it for me when it was released and may play well as home on TV. It is now available on Netflix and you can hear my full review on episode 87. The bizarre romantic thriller Sanctuary starring Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley is a mysterious power play among two manipulative people. It is a compelling cat and mouse tale with a sexy twist and is now available on Hulu. You can hear my full review on episode 85. And the ultra-violent and, to me, shockingly rather dull film Sisu is all bark and no bite, in my opinion. However, I've read many posts on the Regal Unlimited Reddit page, and the people there loved it. Uh, 
you can judge for yourself this Friday when the film arrives on Stars. To hear my full review, listen to episode 78. Now it's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a film set in my location, which is Orlando, Florida. And your choices were... Marvin's Room, Ernest Saves Christmas, and Jaws 3D. You voted, and as of this recording, I'm sorry to say, dear listener Tiffany, by one vote, the winner is Jaws 3D. Next summer, nature's most terrifying creature takes on an all-new dimension in an all-new adventure. And for the first time, the terror of Jaws will not stop at the edge of the screen. Okay, so I recently focused on this film during my 50 Years 50 Movies summer miniseries in episode 2. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I'm going to now play you my recording regarding Jaws 3D from that episode. Enjoy! Okay, I know it's terrible, but I was 10, and I've always loved a theme park which was the setting of this film. This entry in the Jaws franchise takes Chief Brody's children, Mike and Sean, to Florida to work at a new theme park, SeaWorld. Mike, played by Dennis Quaid, is a park engineer who is in a deep relationship with the park's whale biologist, Catherine, played by Bess Armstrong. His brother, Sean, played by Jason Putch, is also in love with a park worker, a water skier. As the park is about to unveil its signature undersea kingdom that is connected to the ocean by a series of gates, including one that malfunctions, allowing a great white shark to swim right in, along with its much larger mother. Soon, Mike, Catherine, and SeaWorld manager Calvin, played by Oscar winner Louis Gossett Jr., are all being terrorized by the mother shark. Released on July 2, 1983, the film made $13 million in its opening weekend, which was the second highest opening weekend of the year on its way to earning $88 million on a budget of $18 million. But was it ever critically panned from everyone except me, apparently? Franchise star Roy Scheider made sure that he was unavailable to appear in the film by signing up for another movie. Star Dennis Quaid would later admit that he was at the height of his cocaine addiction during filming and that he is high in every frame of the film. I was intrigued by the film at the time because it was the first 3D film I had ever seen in the theater, and that was when 3D films had things jump out at you, rather than now where they just primarily add depth. One more thing. Those underground tunnels connecting to the ocean? They must have been a hell of a long series of tunnels. I now live 15 minutes away from SeaWorld Orlando, where the film was shot. The Atlantic Ocean is at least 40 miles away, so maybe that maintenance worker didn't get eaten by the shark, rather he just got lost on his way back from fixing the gate. So there you have it. Jaws 3D is available to stream on Netflix and Peacock. The next Be Kind Rewind topic is a film about a composer, musician, band, or group. Your choices are Amadeus... Coal Miner's Daughter, or What's Love Got to Do With It? 
Come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote for which film I should focus on and the post with the most likes will be the next segment. So that's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. Thank you so much for listening this week. I do have a programming note. Next week's episode will be the last episode before I take a brief hiatus. The first two weekends in October, I will be entertaining guests from out of town, and I'm unsure of my availability to go see films. Plus, Taylor Swift is taking over movie theaters the weekend of October 13th to show her Eras tour on the big screen, and multiplexes across the country will be dedicating most of their screens to that. As a non-fan, I will be avoiding that crowd of soccer moms and their daughters like the plague. So, now is a perfect time to take a little break and reset. But, I will be back later this week with October's trailer talk, and again next week with reviews of John David Washington in The Creator, and the feisty pups of Paw Patrol The Mighty Movie. And, if I'm feeling daring, Saw 10. But, don't count on me seeing that blood fest. But, we'll see, you never know. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Don't forget, you can now drop me a line at theatershoveit at gmail.com and follow me on Instagram and letterboxd at theatershoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. Have a great week, everyone. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved. <laughs>